Chapter Six of Two Sides to Every Question by Maud Jean Frank. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kirsty. Arthur Delta's side of the question. Arthur Delta sat in his hot little bedroom at Clement House, feeling himself veritably taken in and done for. The weather was stifling. Without, it was hot enough. Within, it was even worse. He threw up his sash as wide as its dimensions would allow, and threw off his coat in the faint hope of admitting some modicum of refreshment to his fevered frame. But the breeze that did find admittance was unreviving, for before it breached him it had to wander amid the smoke of chimneys and between the walls of houses and over a large stable-yard on the one side and a foundry on the other, the din of whose heavy hammers and constant clang of iron broke his morning slumbers most unseasonably sights he strove to shut out by a row of garden pots he could grow nothing very choice on that tiny upper window ledge but he believed in the beneficial influence of green leaves and flowers and watered those he had with zealous care they were fresh and green with his unremitting attention if they were nothing else sounds were not so easily mastered the clatter of horses hoofs the deep-toned stand over of the groom or the occasional hissing noise that always accompanies grooming operations was an all-day long affair hoarse laughter rude jokes and worse still the voice of the swearer would ascend to the little upper window and nothing could shut it out but the closing of the sash and scarcely that he felt it not an easily decided question which to prefer the clash and clang of the foundry or the babble of the stable-yard only that these first ceased with the six o'clock bell the other sounds often lasted far into the night there were a choice of euphonious sounds certainly within the reach of clement house therese and adelaide delaney both sang and played or thought they did and marguerite went thumping through a regular course of schoolgirl melodies as in duty bound but without regard to either time or tune that poor devoted piano scarcely knows repose day or night thought arthur he could hear it now as he sat by his little window looking out beyond and between a vista of stone and brick to a far-off peep of green a poplar that grew in somebody's garden and sent unwittingly its influence afar caleb holt was in full preparation for an evening party practising before he went to dress and the old piano was quivering under his manipulations as polka schottisch and waltz noisily succeeded each other followed by song after song the clang of the hammers had ceased the stable-yard annoyances were comparatively in abeyance but the sounds below stairs were all the more audible arthur delta was experiencing some of the real summer heat of his adopted country one of our adelaidean days with the thermometer at a hundred and eight degrees or a hundred and ten in the shade experiencing it too under no fortuitous circumstances in a close little upper bedroom with but little ventilation and sufficiently near the roof to render its heat doubly oppressive this too after a hard day's work in the office for the english mail had gone out that afternoon and all hands had of necessity been doubly busy he had come home weary in body and mind and with such a splitting headache that taking a solitary cup of tea and fragment of dry toast he had retired from the dinner-table with an apology and gone upstairs to his own room preferring its privacy with all its heat to the incessant talking and laughing below mrs delany was profuse in her expressions of sympathy and regret 
and offer of remedies but arthur was glad to escape them all and find at last his door closed and locked behind him though the heat was scarcely bearable he threw up his sash as we before said and pouring water into the basin tried bathing his head but the water was quite warm for it had been standing all day in the ewer so that afforded him but little relief there was some eau de cologne on his dressing-table he had left it there the night he went to clinton park he found the bottle but not the cologne water that must have evaporated so with a sigh of suffering and vexation he resigned himself to the inevitable and sat down at the window his elbows on its sill and his aching head in his hands looking out at that far-off point of green just then brightened by the slanting rays of the setting sun it was an oasis in all that dreary waste of brick and mortar poor arthur it was not entirely heat or headache from which he was suffering he was thoroughly homesick the departing mail had carried off with it his own home letters and how much of a weary heart with them he scarcely knew home and mother were in his thoughts now as he sat with his burning eyes fixed on that bit of green it brought with it visions of the pretty parsonage in its bower of leaves and flowers flowers and leaves no scarcely at that season for the frost and the snow were still dominant in the homeland and in the midst of the tropical heat he was experiencing the very memory of the ice and snow was refreshing what were his sisters doing had they been to skate on the little willow pond near the park or round the copse for a brisk walk with the ground hard and frozen beneath their feet and the trees covered with glistening icicles over their heads and were they now gathering a happy merry group with a blazing fire and closed doors and closely drawn curtains with books and work and music to pass a pleasant evening and was he the exile remembered among them was his name upon their lips in their thoughts oh yes he knew his mother had not forgotten him and man as he was the tears came to his eyes as he thought of her thought of her loving words her tender care thought how at that very moment she was missed how he missed her soft hand on his aching brow her caressing movements round him ah it is in times such as these during pain and fever and restlessness when the heart is weary and sad and the cares of earth bear crushingly upon it that the mother's love is prized and longed after sometimes with a bitter longing when the longing and the valuing come all too late the evening at clinton park had been a splendid but not a happy one how he had looked forward to it not merely to its gaiety its wealth of beauty and of song all that had its drawbacks in the cool reception he was sure to receive from his uncle but elsie his little cousin elsie he would keep as near as possible to her all the time and they were to sing together he forgot everything else in the anticipated pleasure of her society and yet how was it all going to end poor fellow he had not even money enough to purchase a betrothal ring worthy of that little finger every scrap of money he had got had gone in shares and as yet there had been no results after all his uncle's reception had been the smallest part of his discomfiture certainly his raised eyebrows and cool exclamation well arthur was not calculated to raise his spirits only he expected it and did not greatly care besides mr clinton was too much engaged with his numerous guests to take much notice of his nephew 
but unfortunately that was precisely the case with Elsie also. She was the idol everywhere, and with bitter jealousy he saw she had many other worshippers besides himself. How lovely she looked gliding through the splendidly lighted rooms, with the soft ripples of her fair hair wreathed away by a circlet of tiny blue flowers. Forget-me-nots they might have been, they were so tiny and so blue. Forget her? Who was likely to do that? thought her cousin bitterly, as he watched her through the giddy mazes of the dance, her little hand so constantly claimed that he had little opportunity for word or look. Ah, it was not easy to forget, but would it be wise to remember? She was going away, going into gayer society. Would she be likely to remember him, her poor cousin, who could offer her nothing but a loving heart and a meagre little home, when wealth and position might be laid at her feet? But while he sat drearily thinking all this, she had come to him with her soft musical voice and her little hand on his arm, reminding him of his promise to sing, and he was again under the fascination of her voice and of her presence, and played and sang magnificently, unheeding the murmur of applause that rang through the room as their blended voices ceased, but amply repaid by the low whisper in his ear. "'Oh, Arthur, dear, you have done splendidly tonight.' He lived on that the rest of the evening. He had no other chance of a word till just before he left, for he was compelled by the arrangements of his uncle to go back to town that night, that a very trifling commission might be attended to early in the morning. She was going next day, for how long was scarcely determined, and as amidst a crowd of departing guests he caught her hand for a moment, he seized the opportunity of whispering, "'Oh, Elsie, darling, don't forget me.' "'Arthur, dear, how foolish!' was her low laughing reply. "'Of course I shall not forget you. Besides, I am coming back soon.' And then she was claimed by another group, and he had nothing left but to turn away, sick at heart, and to ride wearily back to town. He had not seen her again. The steamer left at noon the next day, but his uncle took care that engagements chained him closely to the desk. His only consolation was the newspaper and the passengers list, her name among them. He cut out the slip and transferred it to his pocket-book, with a tiny spray he had snatched from her bouquet of flowers as they parted in the hall. He had seen Lily once since then, and she gave a glowing account of Elsie's gaiety in Melbourne, adding with a mischievous laugh, "'Oh, we shall be quite too tame and quiet for her in Adelaide. She is being quite spoilt for home life, and so I tell papa.' And now the memory of all this was very bitter to him. If he had only never come to Adelaide, if he had only obtained a tutorship or a clerkship in the homeland, why could not his uncle have helped him forward at home? Would it be any use striving after wealth? Could he ever hope to compete with the landowners and millionaires of wealthy Melbourne? But the next moment came a revulsion of feeling. He might be judging Elsie wrongfully. Why should he conclude her heartless? Only then she was bound with no tie to him. Then he might yet succeed, and she might yet be true. Rising hastily with the spur of such a hope, and searching in his dressing-case for one of his mother's remedies for headache, so carefully stowed away by her loving hands, he took it, and throwing on a light summer coat, prepared to go out. For a sudden change, preluded by a cloud of dust, had sprung up, and now a fresh sea-breeze was blowing full in at his little window, fresh with the smell of the sea. It seemed to infuse fresh life into him, 
and unlocking the door he went downstairs and out into the streets yes there was no mistaking it the heat had vanished before these wholesome sea breezes they filled the streets the little barefooted paper boys revelled in them pleasant change echoed from all sides windows were opened and curtains drawn back to receive it and old and young turned out to enjoy the result arthur delta found his summer coat all too thin End of chapter 6